0: how their inventions work, and how their ideas get from the laboratory to the marketplace. Today, we're entering the spin zone. Now, you haven't accidentally downloaded a political podcast. I'm talking about literal spin, as in an invention called a spin concentrator. And we're pleased to have the inventor on the show today, Joseph Moss, who is a researcher at the University of West Florida in Pensacola. Welcome to Radio K, Joe. Hi, thanks for having me. So, Joe, I think I last saw you in 2012 or 2013 maybe when you were a Sweet 16 finalist or you just finished being a finalist in the Cade Prize. And I remember the judges were very impressed with your entry, though I have to admit I didn't really fully understand how it worked at the time so i think i know after I have been through the prize but i'm going to roll this description by you tell me where i'm wrong um okay. but i'll ask you to elucidate that so I, I know it's a type of water filter which basically can detect uh disease producing organisms in water um and that is essentially the the core function of it but what i don't fully understand you can explain is sort of how how does this differ from other existing water filters and, you know, what is, um, you know, what is unique about it? And obviously there's something unique because you've had some commercial success with this. So let me stop there and sure, let sure. you tell us and tell listeners uh, what exactly a spin concentrator is.
1: Okay. Well, you've got it mostly right. Um, it is a spin concentrator or a spin device um, which simply separates particles, microbial particles, whether they're actual microorganisms or um, non-living microbial particles. Uh, particulates. It doesn't matter. It depends on the researcher what they want to do. It helps. It aids in the separation of these particles so that you can subsequently, down the line, evaluate your samples and see whether that pathogen or microbe or particle exists. So it doesn't detect the organism itself. Mm -hmm. It helps in the process. It speeds it up. I see. Okay. It's a simple, fast way of doing it.
0: So, traditionally, like what, um, you know, previous to this, what is for the traditional way of doing Would you have to take like a, a water sample and send it out to a lab in order to do the yes, same thing? Yes, okay. yes, So,
1: the current method is the one that's set up by the EPA that's warranted for all the labs to use. It's called method, EPA method 1600, uh, I think it's 1600. I forget the exact number, but basically it's been around for... <sighs> I'd say two decades now, mm-hmm. um, or almost two decades. It's long, it's convoluted, um, It's takes expertise, and it's not cost-efficient. So, so in a
0: typical scenario, like let's say a you know, post-disaster relief or, or something like that, if you're trying to measure concentrations of water... It would involve some sort of long delay or just additional oh, yeah, cost? it wouldn't work like it wouldn't because work. there would
1: be too many samples and not enough um, scientists to get it done. Got it. Okay. It takes 24 hours to do a few samples with the current method. Okay. Because what happens is, I'll, I'll I'll briefly explain it. First, you have to... Filter the water, mm-hmm. and then after you're done filtering the water, that costs about sixty to one hundred dollars for that filter. Wow. Yes. Okay. Then it gets even more expensive. Then you have to back flush that, that filter and basically spin that water sample down to a certain amount, about ten milliliters. Then you have to use a, a kit that has antibodies that are specific for the microorganisms. Let's say Cryptosporidium and Giardia, mm-hmm. which the reason why I built this device. That takes a few hours. It works well, but takes a few hours. And then you're adding another sixty dollars, uh, maybe a hundred. And then after that, you had to stain the organisms. Then you had to put it onto a slide. And then you have to have an experienced scientist to evaluate that slide to determine whether or not those organisms are on that slide. And so this obviously sample.
0: all has to take place in a lab setting, right? Yes. I mean, just, OK. Yes. And if I understand, your invention is there's a handheld version of it, or is that?
1: Well, my, my version is set up for molecular techniques. So the current method uses microscopy. So they have to look under a microscope. OK. And so you have to be trained with, to be able to identify right. it. Right. But nowadays, we can do things genetically, and we can, te- we can find out what's in the water by just having DNA markers. Right? It's pretty right. standard now. But uh, the EPA is slow, and we still have this one method. I've been pushing as long as as well as some other scientists to let's come on, let's go. Let's get into the molecular field because it's a lot quicker.
0: So does that mean that somebody uh, a non you know, a volunteer or uh, someone who's not a a scientist could, use your device and and come up with valid results or would they still at some point they would, would need, a researcher have to step in? Or? They would need some training, some training. but okay. they
1: wouldn't have to have the training in order to identify the protozoa. Uh, okay. That takes uh, hours and hours of training to have that eye to be able to identify what's there.
0: Okay so really we're talking sort of speed and, and- Costs. Um, cost.
1: Per sample for the EPA method, between four to $500. That's the last I checked, and that was a few years and ago. And that's
0: a, a single sample? That's a of, single sample. Okay. So if you're in an area in which you need to do multiple samples, all, you're talking <laughs> yeah. about big price. You're talking, yes. So if okay. there's an
1: epidemic, there's yeah, you're going to be spending a lot right. of money.
0: It, yeah, it's interesting because, you know, I, I think um, it's pretty obvious, right? Uh, we've known that uh, waterborne pathogens and uh, dirty water is a huge problem, particularly in the third world. But it seems like it's taken a while for these sort of quicker faster cheaper methods to develop of of making sure that people uh, in underdeveloped countries have access to clean water. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's an issue that hasn't been an issue in the first world for a long time, right? I mean, that's yeah, correct. Yeah. yeah correct. Um, okay, so great. So now I think I understand the technology better. I hope our listeners do. Um, let's let's go uh, back in time to sort of um, pre-academic Joe Moss. Uh, where <laughs> where okay. are you f- from? Um, you know, where did you grow up? What were you What were you like as a kid?
1: Uh, originally I'm from Bucks County PA, a town called Holland, uh, right on the outskirts of Philadelphia. Uh, I was born and raised there and stayed there until I was about 21. I was um, I was a fidgety outdoorsy kind of, not spastic, but I, I, I'd like to go out and play and, and <laughs> right. enjoy life. And there's plenty of streams and rivers and creeks and fields and uh, tree nurseries everywhere that for someone like me to.
0: So when you when you went outside, were you interested in the natural world? Did you just like being outside, or did you already have an inkling that you liked uh, water, for instance? Or you like to study things. No, or study? I think Not really. everything fascinated
1: me. It's just uh, going out and just. Playing and seeing what you know, I, everything. Wow, look at that! Wow, look uh-huh. at that! And that wow, crayfish. Well, look at that? The salamander. But yeah, okay. Water was a little bit more, uh, it, it influenced me more when, right. I, when I when I went to see when I was in water and like uh, the rivers and lakes. You're always guessing. It's kind of like fishing. You yeah, know, you're yeah. wondering what's down there. Right. You throw your, your line in, and you're, you're always inquisitive of what's down there, what, what's
0: going on. Yeah. Imagine as a kid. You know. How did you do in school? Were, were you drawn towards mm-hmm. science-type classes or biology? In- I was always
1: good at science and math.
0: Really? Okay, yeah. from the very beginning. Yes. Were your parents uh, also researchers? Were they? In- no, absolutely now? not. Really? Okay. No, no. What did your parents do for a living?
1: Uh, my mother was a stay-at-home mom, five kids, so she had her work cut out for her. My father worked at Philadelphia Electric Company, so he was kind of like the Homer Simpson. He was behind <laughs> the, Yeah, he was, exactly. He was behind there with the dials, and right. he, he worked long shifts, and right. he'd drive all the way to the inner city of Philadelphia and do 12 hours, 16-hour shifts, and he'd come back.
0: And what number uh, child were you in the birth? Number order? five. Number five. Okay. Yeah, was a little. All right. So you're like the you're like the Hail Mary pass, mm-hmm. right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, any of your other siblings? Did they go into research or science at all? No. Well,
1: engineering was close enough, mm-hmm. to, um, but no, the rest were teaching, accounting. So engineering was the closest. Engineering. One. Okay.
0: So how did you make the long journey from Pennsylvania to Pensacola? <sighs> Uh, We got all the time in the world here, (laughs) Joe.
1: I got a little rambunctious and then forgot about. As a teenager, you forget about. You get you get involved in something in in other you know teenage aspects Mm -hmm. and you forget about your true passions when you were younger. So um, it took me a while to find my way back. I, I did some traveling. And then later on in the West Coast, when I was working at a dead-end job, I decided, well, I can't do this. I need. I was like, what was I interest Oh, that's right. I love biology. Water, right. <laughs> and actually, my mom, she kind of reminded me. She's like, why don't you go back to school? I'm like, yeah, you know, I should. And it wasn't that easy, but basically I... I noticed that I didn't want to do the, the basic nine to five, so I was like, I need to get back and right. get my degree? So
0: what um, uh, was this your undergraduate degree you're talking about or yes, yeah, so, so um, I
1: yeah, I was off the beaten path for a little while. I actually failed out of my first college. and then I realized, okay, um, yeah, I need to buckle down. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm.
0: it took a little while. And uh, when you did decide to buckle down, did you know right away you wanted to go into a science-related field? Oh, absolutely. Field? Yeah. Absolutely, yeah. Um, Okay, let's fast forward now to your researcher. Um, at what point, um, was there a certain point where you sort of had the inspiration for the spin concentrator, or did you sort of iterate your way to it? Was it a series of steps, or did you kind of have, you know, one of those um, classic aha moments? Well, I'm not sure how often it actually happens, but, you know, some people say they had an insight because they heard something, you know. Actually, the
1: whole impetus of this was because of Dr. Richard Snyder. He was my boss and my mentor. He had a grant, a small grant, uh, to work with microbes, particularly Giardian cryptosporidium, to find a better way. Uh, At the time, before I started working with him, he had a postdoc working there who was trying to make the molecular technique better and more efficient, but it was actually the wrong path. So that postdoc, left for another job or something, I forget, and Richard Snyder uh, called me up and said, you know, I have a position open. So I went there. After a little while, uh, with his help, we decided that the molecular technique wasn't a problem. It was the precursor. It was the separation of the microbes because you know, a lot of water is turbid, so mm-hmm. it's really hard to find. It's like getting a needle in a haystack. Right.
0: So that's the hard part.
1: So we worked on that.
0: So, and, and once you go through the separation, then it becomes easier.
1: It gets easier for the molecular techniques to work. Okay. Because even though molecular techniques work great, um, there's always problems with inhibition because you have certain things in the water like tannins. I uh, can go on acids right. and whatnot and, and just the interfere with the, with the chemical process.
0: And so were you already at University of West Florida at the time or did you... You were recruited by Dr. Snyder to come I, there? Or? I...
1: Left the University of West Florida to get a job at the EPA f- okay. as a contractor, a biological contractor. My contract was ending, and I was actually going to go work in Alaska as a <laughs> fisheries observatory. Really? Yeah, I was almost gone. I was it was like a day or two, I was going to leave to go up there to train for the position. And he called me up, and you know, lucky for me. I mean, not there's anything wrong being in Alaska, but right. um, I really wanted to stay in Pensacola. So uh,
0: it's funny when I was in undergraduate school in University of C- uh, Washington in Seattle a popular summer job for people who were from Washington was go up and work on the fishing boats in Alaska and so I thought well you know I'm going to do that and so I put in an application never heard back from anyone then I found out years later it's like one of the most dangerous occupations yes. in the face of the, <laughs> <Right. laughs> the right? earth exactly <laughs> fishing boat in Alaska you know I mean there's a whole bunch of occupational hazards it, it did pay very well and that's what attracted me but I'm sure they took one look at my thin CV in the fishing department <laughs> and it's why I never got a call back well that's cool So, so you stayed there and then and obviously, it has become it has reached a degree of success. You you did make the Cade Prize uh, finals in two thousand twelve, and then soon after that, right, you signed a, a licensing deal. Yes, we did. Uh, and yes. tell tell me about that um, process. I mean, they obviously liked your technology, but uh, did you come up with this deal on your own, or did UWF did they? Give you help or Uh, no?
1: Actually, it's a lot. Who you know and uh, people talk and Mm -hmm. a a friend of mine, Andreas Knocker. He was my mentor when I was going to my grad uh, my grad degree. He called me up and said, "Hey, I know some guys that are interested. Um, You should speak to them." So I did, and these were the guys at Scottish Water. So they were interested in buying two other devices just to try it out. So I was like, "Great." So I actually flew over there. To Scotland, Yes, okay. Edinburgh. Uh, went over there, spent a couple of days with them, showed them the device, showed how it worked, explained everything. And then we uh, did some basic science stuff and went out and had a dinner and, you know, the normal stuff. Right. And then after that, though, it uh, turned out there were some guys in Barcelona that were interested as well. And I was like, well, I'm already in Edinburgh. I'll fly over to Barcelona. So the guy picked me up, and this was a wild story, but I'll sum up. He picks me up and brings me to their manufacturing place in Terrassa, and I go there, they're showing me around being polite, as Europeans mostly are, and I'm looking around, great. And um, next thing I know, they bring me into this room, and there's 10 to 12 guys in there sitting down. <laughs> they're like, okay, you ready, are you ready to talk about the device? I'm like, wow, okay, uh, all right, so I sit down, and they close the door, and I'm like, I start getting intimidated, and I'm looking at like, "Did you do a? Do you have a PowerPoint?" I'm like, "No, <laughs> this is my first time it's, ever doing." It I didn't like tell them this. It sounds like a nightmare, you uh, sure, like, know. It's funny now. Uh-huh. Um, so I just thought to myself, "All right, I'm here. Uh, just
0: speak well. the truth. Yeah. Just yeah.
1: tell them." I mean, I, I loosened up in about a minute. I just, I talked to them for about five minutes. And they all just listened tentatively, and then I stopped, sat back. I said, "Well, that's it." And all of a sudden, across the table, back and forth in Spanish, I, I couldn't keep up. And thank God, one of the guys just looked at me and said, relax, we're spitballing. I was like, that's fine. I took a glass of, uh, oh, of water. Oh, because this is all in Spanish. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I'm, not, I'm not fluent in Spanish. Uh, German, no, I would have done better, but uh-huh. not Spanish. And uh, we're spitballing. I'm like, fine, take your time. About five minutes later, they looked at me and said, uh, we like it. We'd like to do a deal.
0: Wow, and that was it. And I was like, like, "Easiest pitch ever." Oh, I know.
1: I was like, and then we went out to dinner. We had tapas, and uh...
0: so uh, based on that, Joe, I'm guessing that either you are the most fantastic presenter in the world, (laughs) or uh, and and or the technology kind of explains itself. I mean, it it sounds like for somebody in, I take it this is a company, right? A a utility company, or uh, that the technology um, is so. you know, blindingly better or obviously better that it kind of just, you, as soon as you explain how it works, they sell out. Well, it wasn't just that. It
1: was because it was already developed. Okay. They saw the, the, what do you call it? Uh, they saw like the, the prototype. Or the, well, it's, I showed them the prototype, uh, but they also saw how they can change and make okay. it better because it was I prototype number one or two right. Right. that they saw. I, I had the, the pieces and I showed them step by uh-huh. step, and they're engineers. They saw, they saw the how, value yeah. to it, and it wasn't... I wasn't asking much. It was you
0: know. so uh, interesting. Was it all engineers in the room, or would was there some like dealmaker types and there, executives who, oh, I who think were going to sign? Engineers all and engineers and
1: plus yeah. the owners of the business. It was everyone. Uh huh. Uh, yeah, it was, it's funny now I was for, for about two minutes. I was
0: so, terrible. so you're in, let me get this straight. You're in Scotland. Uh, you've done your pit. Did you ever hear from the Scots again? Or yeah. was that? Okay. No. So mm-hmm. did you do a deal with them as well or? Well, they bought the device. They bought they, the device. They so, to look at it okay. um, and try yeah. it out. So, and then just sort of on the fly, you get another tip to go to Barcelona or the invitation well, to go to Barcelona.
1: Well, to be honest, I knew about a week or two ahead of time, okay. All right. but it was, it was almost like almost, yeah, almost, yeah.
0: Wow, okay. Well, I bet you lots of entrepreneurs would love to have that story or <laughs> yeah. research or something. Yeah. Usually, you know, it's years and years of going to these pitch contests mm-hmm. and, you know, things like the Cade Prize to get your name out there before anybody, you know, yeah, does a deal like that. Well, congratulations. Thank I mean, you. It's um, you. Yeah. It's kind of a big deal. Are you still uh, still refining that technology or have you moved on to other research projects?
1: I've moved on. Um, it's being used or it was being used. I have to check. Tampa, uh, not Tampa. I'm, it was used at Tampa. Water comp uh, water department, but it was just recently being used at the Los Angeles Water Department. Uh, things have slowed there because they ran out of money. But yeah, it's, I'm still using it, and there's other applications it mm-hmm. can be used for. So, but now I have other studies I work on
0: too. Anything that you think has commercial potential at this point on? No,
1: research no. A lot of boring stuff that your your listeners wouldn't want to listen to about or like the diversity of bacteria in the ocean. Yeah. You know that's not like a barn burner, but that's what I work on.
0: So, have you had um, has anyone of your fellow researchers uh, in your field or not heard of your success and said, "Hey, Joe, give us tips. You know how do we how do we do this? How do we?" Tra- how to no, commercialize a no, researcher no, no, no. it- they don't want to I have a big enough head as it is no, they, they, <laughs> they, no, they don't want to encourage no, you no, no. I mean it's all good fun but right. that's you know. this sort of stories warm our hearts particularly at the Cade Museum because it's part of the mission of what the Cade is about trying to basically um, help or encourage or inspire us whatever word you want to use uh, researchers to sort of take a look at their research and see, you know, what what are the commercial possibilities? Because um, you know, it's really a lot of times through commercialization, right? The technology actually gets that into the wider world mm-hmm. uh, because companies are using it or individuals are using it. So. Joe, thank you very much for coming on Radio K today. Sure. Look forward for to, to watching your progress in the years to come, and um, probably all those things you say are too boring for the public. World. We'll all be using in five or ten years, <laughs> yeah, yeah, maybe. <laughs> hopefully, After, hopefully in Africa, just, because just, they
1: need they didn't you know, they need the
0: exactly right. We've so. had we've had other K a lot of actually mm-hmm. K Prize entrants have dealt with the the um, subject of clean water coming at it from one angle or another. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's it's definitely a topic, as you said, for particularly for areas of the world in which it's not right, standard. Right. Uh, thanks very much for joining us. Congratulations once again on your success and I look forward to having you on the show again. Thank you very much. Thanks for listening. I'm Richard Miles. Radio Cade would like to thank the following people for their help and support. Liz Gist
1: of the Cade Museum for Coordinating Inventor Interviews Bob McPeak of Heartwood Soundstage in downtown Gainesville, Florida, for recording, editing, and production of the podcasts and music theme. Tracy Collins for the composition and performance of the Radio Cade theme song, featuring violinist Jacob Lawson. And special thanks to the Cade Museum for creativity and invention, located in Gainesville, Florida.